family, you're tuning in to the Jimmy Bonds podcast on Philadelphia Radio. Pardon any technical difficulties as we are recording live on the Zoom platform. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Jimmy. Okay. Lights, camera, action. People thought I quit and I ain't giving satisfaction. From a different era, writing rhymes up on nappies. What you had to say was more important, man, than trapping. Yeah, I'm talking back and speaking the contemporary. What's good, family, and welcome to another episode of Jimmy Bonds Podcast from Philadelphia Radio. This episode is sponsored by Good Hope Road Studios. I'm your host, Jimmy Bonds, along with my co-host, Ty. T.Y., what's good, Ty? How you feeling? All good in the neighborhood, live from the 215, JB. Live from the 215. You know how we do. You know I can't forget my other co-host, the lovely Miss T with the T. She's not here with us today, but she's always here with us in spirit. Tonight, 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 family, I would love, I, I am going to introduce you to our new co-host who has joined us to do our podcast. I am super excited about this. Ty's excited about this. Family, you have heard her on the First Generation podcast. She definitely was was a highlight there. She's done her thing. She has a background in radio, doing radio at the University of Pittsburgh. She is definitely phenomenal. She's an entrepreneur. She's a wonderful person. And she has a beautiful spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, can I introduce you to Miss Lucy Lou? What's up, Lucy? How you feeling, mama? <laughs> I'm feeling good with that introduction. Whoa. <laughs> I don't even want to meet me. <laughs> well, listen, welcome to the show. Welcome to the family. Oh, guys, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This is this is love. This is love. This is love. We move right along, family. Remember, you can call us with your comments and questions at 844-844-1244. Again, it's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. Also, family, remember, you can follow us on Instagram at jimmybondspodcast, on Twitter at Podcast Bonds, and make sure you subscribe to the Philadelphia Radio YouTube page as well as the Jimmy Bonds Facebook YouTube page. Sorry, no, Jimmy Bonds YouTube page. Anyway, moving right along, family. Tonight, 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 we're discussing a very important topic. Um, of course, I think every topic we discuss is important. But on this particular issue, I think this is a geographical issue, but as well as a national issue. Um, it, it stretches through every major city and every ma- major part of the country. Um, tonight, we're talking about racism in Philadelphia. Now, I guess you wonder why we're having this conversation. Why would people just want to talk about racism in Philadelphia? Like, isn't this the city of brotherly love? No, family. This is the city of brotherly shove. And I want you to know, I want you to know that. This is not a city for Black people, people of color, people trying to make a way for themselves. This is not for us. And there is a history of it. Um, there is a time where we weren't allowed to go certain places within this city. Um, we weren't allowed to eat at certain places. I mean, eat at certain restaurants. I mean, similar, very similar to how it was down south during the segregation area, uh, during the segregation era. But the important aspect of why I want to bring this up is because I want to shine a light on it. Um, because if it's going on here in Philly, it's going on everywhere. So, you know, some of the main components, some of the main issues that, that we people of color are facing within the city of Philadelphia, as far as discrimination and racism, is housing, education, and criminal justice. Now, I would also throw employment under there as well, because most of us or a lot of us have to go even an hour or two hours away from where we live just to go to work. And that commute is very taxing. That commute is very expensive. Um, but we have to go to work. We have to take care of our families and do this. And I, I know many of people who are on the trains with me every morning who get up, crack it on and get to work to be there at seven. They got to get up at five. It, it is an exhausting life. So, family, I, wanna, I wanted to talk about this because 
Um, I got into a conversation with Sister Lucy, talked to Brother Ty about this, talked to many of my friends and colleagues about this. And sometimes people feel like it doesn't exist. Just because the Confederate flag is not flown does not mean that there aren't Confederate ideas in certain areas. And what people don't know about the North, or, or actually should I, what I should say is, the North has always been marketed as a place of freedom, a place for Blacks to go where they wouldn't have the same experiences as they did in the South. And for many of us during the Great Migration, the reality was that that was not true. So what I want to do, families, first, I'm going to talk to the team about this. I want to ask first, Lucy, let's ask you, what do you feel is the reason, what, what do you feel are the current state of affairs for race relations within Philadelphia? See, that's the thing for me. If we're, if we're talking about Philly, it's different. Like my whole stance of me saying racism, honestly, didn't start until me heading up north to Pittsburgh. So that was my first introduction because I went to inner city, you know, high school in South Philly. So I only was around black people. So my culture shock came to when I went to Pittsburgh. Mm. So I was just like, wow, like, you know, you know, you're not as well diverse around your group because that's all you know when you went Philly. Yeah. On to Pittsburgh is a reality check. And like I told you, like, it's when Obama came in administration, that's when you open your eyes to see the people you rock with, even your own people, yeah, it's not what you really think it is. I mean, it, it, Obama getting elected was like green light for racism. Green light. It was mm-hmm. green light for everybody to be, you know, a black president is in there so we can be as racist as we want to. Because you guys got what you wanted. You wanted a black president, you got a black president. Now we can say how we really feel. And, you know, you were telling me about some of your, talk to me about some of your experiences in Pittsburgh. Like, what, what, what was going on over there? I mean, I know we're talking about Philly and all, but you know, Pittsburgh's on the other side of the state. There's a notion that mm-hmm. says that Philadelphia, between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and between those two cities, there's Alabama and Pennsylvania. Yeah. That, that is the notion. So tell me about some of your experiences in Pittsburgh, if you can. Yeah, so I'm really honestly curious about your experience with Philly, because that's really something new for me. But from when I went to Pittsburgh back in, what, 2007, um, I went to Titusville campus before I went to main campus, right? So that is literally looking like Jim Crow South. Like it's people who never seen black people. Me and my parents went to Walmart and it was a kid who was just, you know, when kids run around in the store, it's a kid who came in the aisle when it was me and my dad and the kids screamed and I'm, and I'm looking like, what you, like I, I was thrown off. So the parents came like thinking that something wrong with their kid. And it was just like, Oh, it's just some niggas. Oh my God. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 that was the first time I've ever encountered like that, like straight on for a, a white person. Yeah. So it was just like, and my parents, you know, I come from, like my parents is African. They're like, you know what? We don't want no trouble. Just let's get the stuff and let's get out. But for yeah. me, like, I'm looking like, no, you can't talk to me like that. So that was an eye opening. Like people didn't see black people. I swear they said it was one black family who lived in Titusville, Pennsylvania. And that was the scariest thing. Like they would shoot guns. Like it literally felt like a Jim Crow South. And and that's what I mean. <laughs> As I say, Pennsylvania has this notion that that is not racist mm-hmm. or it's it's up north. So you know, up north people, there's no way in the world that they're racist like they are in the South. There's no way in the world. But under the underbelly, the, if you move the you remove the layer of what is marketed, oh, you find a whole different reality. You know what I mean, brother Ty. Oh, Private time, how you feeling, man? What what do you feel about the state of race relations in Philly right now? Well, it's going to always exist because you have different 
races of people living amongst each other. Yeah. It's always existed. It's not going to end because we're in constant communication with each other. You know, either, you know, through work, uh, even so now with gentrification, they're coming back into the city yeah. and they're moving back into our neighborhoods. So we're having to interact with them as well. Yeah. What do you, what do you, what do you think that's like? I mean, how do you think that that, that transition is happening? Is, I mean, is it, I mean, uh, my, my, my grandparents were like some of the first black people to move in West Philly back in like the forties. And um, it, it was evident that, you know, West Philly was not always black. <laughs> so um, you start thinking about the, what, what they had to face in those black, in those white neighborhoods before, you know, a lot of the white flight happened. But well, hold on. well first we got to go back, Jimmy, because in the 1700s, William Penn came here and he signed a treaty with Chief Tammany, who was a brother. We actually were here in the 1700s. And William Penn signed that treaty with Chief Tammany and then allowed him and his people to come in and set up shop in Philadelphia. Yeah. Actually, back in the 17 and 1800s, the downtown part of Philadelphia was considered the city. And West Philly, a little bit of South Philly, Southwest was considered the suburbs. Got you. So what they did was after William Penn had died, they tore up that treaty and started moving us out of Philadelphia. Really? And then we started coming back in. So when uh, you talk about, you know, your parents, your grandparents being the first to come back in, they were probably the first to come back in because we were here, yeah. but we were moved out. Just like the Louisiana Purchase, they moved them out of there. Got you. You know what I'm saying? Got you. Um, and again, when we came back, that's when we are facing the problems of having to relocate and move into neighborhoods where they were already established and set up, and they didn't want us in those neighborhoods. Yeah, for sure. You know? For but sure. we were here first. They just... You know, kind of shift this out so they can build and set up for their people. I mean, there, there is, there's definitely, uh, I guess, a lineage of how the racism was set up in Philadelphia. You know, why it was set up, how it was set up. Whenever they want to fix something or whenever they want to improve something, the first thing they do is move the black people out. They and the ways they do it is raise taxes, raise the cost of living, raise the cost of housing prices, raise the cost of rent. If you want to get rid of somebody, make make sure they can't afford to live here. And that's what they're doing now. Yes. you know that that's pretty much the status of what's going on. It's been going on for the past ten years, but I think I, I think we as we as people of color sometimes just go with the go with the status quo. You know what I mean? We just kind of living our lives and walking around and you know going to work every day, not realizing what's going on around us is they are hijacking our even you know our, our communities in a sense. You know, and I mean I, I can complain about that in the sense of you know what's been going on for a long time, but do you, do you think Tom, I'm you this first and then Lucy, I'm asking you too. Do you think the present state of affairs has a lot to do with how the media portrays people of color? Or do you think it's just the staple of how Philly is, is, has been? Well, across the board, the media portrays us as negative anyway. That's just across the board. Right. Um, as far as Philly, there's a heavy population of our people in Philadelphia. And Based on what they're saying and what they're doing as far as trying to change the city, they feel as though we've had it for some time and we've ran it down. Yeah. And we've talked up. Yeah. So now they're going to bring their people back in and rebuild it. And in the process, they're going to raise taxes and raise property value. So you can live in a house that's currently right now worth 40000 and a company can come in, buy up three or four houses on your block. Yep. You know, renovate them. Yeah. And now those houses are worth eighty or ninety thousand. 
yep. and it brings your property value up, but your house is really only worth forty thousand. But now it's, it's scheduled at sixty thousand. Yep. So what, what's the first thing you do? What's so the first now you got the taxes. Your taxes are going to go up. And if you can't afford the taxes, what do you do? You lose your house. And if you and, and a way to prevent losing your house would be what? To sell it. Yeah. To sell sell it. out. A lot of people do sell out too. So if you sell your home, you're actually sell. You're actually getting rid of your your historical, I guess, base for your family in a sense. You know, like a lot of row houses in Philly were owned by black families and, you know, sometimes the upkeep wasn't there. And then all of a sudden here come the state, here come the investors, they come in to buy it up, renovate it and sell it for double the price it's worth. So, I mean, that that goes on a long time. Lucy, what do you feel? How do you feel about, I guess, the media portrayal of, of people of color? Is is it a thing that that is it true or is it not true? I think. I think I, I, I can always tell you, I always like to play devil's advocate. I feel like overall, it's always going to be negative. Like we're always going to get the bad side of the point, but it's certain things that we do to validate something <laughs> that makes it like, it doesn't help. <laughs> I will say that. Like, um, I just don't want to just say, Hey, it's just the media. Like we don't have a fault into it. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I feel like, like we talked about, I feel like the system is always designed to make us work harder or make us, be portrayed in a certain light but yeah. when it comes pertaining to philly like you know what university city like when i was growing up university city didn't look like what it looks like now like oh, no it didn't um it's completely different they're trying to market it for the of course the masses when you look at north philly what they're looking like north philly looks like a segregated line like you'll see like temple and what the houses and buildings look like and you go across the street it's like the row homes look broken down like but it's it, it, it's really sad because it's like, like you were saying, that's people's foundation. That's people's like home of where their parents been 60 years. Their grandparents literally raised like two generations trying to make it three. Yeah. So, I mean, in that aspect, that's why I see the change of it. But I feel like the media doesn't help it at all. I mean, and I could agree with you in so many aspects of what you're saying. I think the media definitely doesn't help it. It, it portrays this in a certain in a certain light. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like you. I play devil's advocate. If we didn't act a certain kind of way, we wouldn't give them reasons to to put us out there like that. Now, are, are there people within our community that's, you know, quote unquote, doing things they shouldn't be doing? I'm going to just leave just it at that. Just say it. crazy knuckleheads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kevin, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, yeah. Them crazy knuckleheads that we know, a lot of us know who they are. You know what I mean? It's probably one in every family. But you know, are we are, are we subjected to the to the the minority of of that? Or are we subjected to the majority? Because there are a lot of black people, people of color, Hispanics, Latinos, a lot of people within this community of Philadelphia that are doing some very positive things to help the city, oh, to the city. You know what I mean? And and I think I, I find that it's hard to even get footage from the media to portray these things i find that they try to really just keep it at a, at a status quo you know lucy you talked about the segregation aspect you know there are shootings in philly all the time mm-hmm. but and that's what you want to see every time yes. every time you want to, you want to uh, glamorize that aspect go. to make us look like that because it's a distraction there why would i show why would i show meek mills coming to the hood giving out thousands of book bags and you know for the community why would i want to show that when i just want to show him talking about guns and violence yep. it's, it's just it does nothing for them but to show us in that negative light i mean it's true if you ever watch channel 10 news that they, they that's what they lead off of shooting right now yeah. in west philly and then the person in, in person that, that's reporting is look yeah john they were shooting the, report, the police are reporting that there were five shots shells were on the floor 
the, they say the, the perpetrator is African-American. They're still looking for him. I mean, they go in. They go in. Let, let it be a white person. Let, let it be something that happened in South Philly. You never hear about it. You never, mm-hmm. you wouldn't even know. Mm-mm. You wouldn't even know. I mean, and, and, of, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Ty. What are you going to say? No, that's what I was saying because, um, I mean, we have to define the racism because it can come in different forms. Yeah. It can come through the form of systems, different mechanisms. And if we can't, you know, see it for what it is and validate it, we kind of fall into the trap of the racism that's portrayed by the racist. Yeah. For you sure. know? For sure. I mean, like for, so, for example, it's called the city of brotherly love, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's what they so, say. <laughs> right. Now, do you know where the name came from? Tell me what the name came from, Ty. It came from a European man who was constantly having sex with his sister. And oh. so they gave him the name Philadelphia. That's why it's the city of brotherly love, because of him. Oh. Oh. So European man was constantly having sex with his sister and they gave him the name Philadelphia. That's a form wow. name. So ah. you want to tell me all this time it wasn't because we embrace? No. no. They marketed that way. I, I said they marketed it that way, but damn time. Goodness that's why gracious, I said, that's why I Love Park, the Phil the City of Brotherly Love, because of this gentleman years ago. Cause he was he was he was in, he was all about incest. He yes. was all about that craziness. Yo, yeah. and then, and like, again, like yeah, I mean, it's the racism can come in different forms. Yeah, you know, and if you don't notice it or see it, you you just won't get it. Yeah. And I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, when I was younger, I was like a, a broke version of Farrakhan. I blame <laughs> white people for everything, man. <laughs> broke I, version I, I of Farrakhan. I love it. Everything, man. Yeah. And you know, as I started doing more research. It wasn't so much about blaming them because you would hear things like, well, black people spend a lot of money. You know, they have a lot of spending power. Yeah. And I started saying, well, how come we don't spend this money on ourselves? Man, we don't. We're taught to spend it on other ethnic groups and other businesses, yeah. but we don't really spend it on ourselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? How many, how many, how many, how many black corner stores do you know in Philly? It's not too many, but you can find plenty of Chinese and poppy stores. That's my point. Mm-hmm. That's my you know? point. And, I'm, and that's nothing against our, our, our Chinese yeah. brethren or, or our, our Latino brethren. I'm just saying these are the facts in the cities and the areas that we live in, particularly within the black, black community, that there yes. are mostly, you know, what they would call, quote unquote, people that know New York would call them bodegos, but they call them poppy stores here. And then you have Chinese stores that get Chinese food. Those things are very prevalent and maybe a dollar store here and there. You know, where people can can pay a dollar for the things that they need, little toys and, and things and trinkets for the family. You know what I mean? Th- those kind of things. But, bro, I mean, you just blew my mind, bro. Like, I'm I'm kind of stuck. Yeah. I, I'm kind of stuck. And 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 <laughs> on that note, family, listen, we're going to take a quick break. This is dope. Todd always bringing in Dr. Research. I call him family. Dr. Research over here dropping bars, dropping jewels as usual. Well, family, listen, we're going to take a quick break. Remember, you can call us with your comments and questions at 844-844-1244. Again, that's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. You listen to the Jimmy Bonds Podcast on Philadelphia Radio, the indie station for the indie nation. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Michael from Upper Darby. Listen to the Jimmy Bonds Podcast on Philadelphia Radio. Welcome back to the Jimmy Bonds Podcast on Philadelphia Radio. We thank you for listening. 
Remember, family, you can call us at 844-844-1244. Again, it's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. That's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. And welcome back to Jimmy Boss Podcast from Philadelphia Radio. Remember, family, you can call us with your comments and questions at 844-844-1244. Again, that's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. And again, family, we're discussing the topic of racism in Philly. Brother Ty, as usual, Dr. Research just dropped a bomb on us. Talking about why the city, why the why the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love, and if you missed it, I suggest you go back and listen to it and find out why. Ty, I, I would have you repeat it, but I want the listeners to really go back to to what's the name to the beginning. Yeah. Of the, you know yeah. what I mean? But tell me about you were talking about Chief Tammany. Tell me about about that. What what's, what was going on with Chief Tammany? Yes, we were actually here in the 1700s. Well, before that, we were here. Um, William Penn had got a charter from. I can't recall the gentleman's name overseas, but he gave him the charter for Philadelphia, parts of Delaware, Chester as well. And William Penn had signed a tre- treaty with Chief Tammany to allow his people to come into the city of Philadelphia and set up and make home. Uh, once William Penn had passed away, his family and friends tore up that treaty, and that's when they started moving us out of the city. Now, they actually throw it in our face because at Front and Market Street in Philadelphia, there's a statue of Chief Tammany. And they had him pointing towards City Hall at William Penn, who stands on the top of City Hall. Yeah. Chief Tammany is standing on a turtle because years ago, America was called Turtle Island. And so they have him standing on a turtle. I can and see he's why. Facing City Hall and he's pointing at William Penn. Yeah. William Penn is pointing at the Masonic Lodge right across the street, the Grand Masonic Lodge, because that's where they keep the blueprints of the city at, and some of the artifacts of the city are kept in their basement. There we go, talking about the Masons again. There we go, Ty. There we go, Ty. Talking about the Masons again. <laughs> and Philly, Philly in the late 1800s into the 1900s became a city of removing kids from their families. Yes. And that's why Philly has the biggest family court in the United States. Yes. If, if people, was, tell them what people don't know about when you have a child in the state of, of in the city of Philadelphia and most of your yeah. state of Pennsylvania, the child was a ward of the state, which means you really don't you really don't have custody of that child. You do not. Now, yeah. if you think about it to to the extent of of slavery and how you know quote unquote the slave owners own the fam you know own the people the babies the dads the moms, it's a very similar type of thing. Whereas when you're born in this city. You don't belong to your parents. You belong to the city. And no, I find that that's, that's, I mean, you have to look at the birth certificate to read it. It is on the birth certificate. It says it when you sign it. Most of us don't read it, but that's what it says on the birth certificate. I got two kids. I've seen them both times. I can tell you that that's for a fact. And, you know, it, it's. Quick question, Jimmy. Did you have to fill out the birth certificates before you left the hospital? Yeah, I had to sign them before. Before you leave the hospital. Before I leave the hospital. Before I leave the hospital, because, I can't, I can't, I can't not sign them and say that this is my child. Or and pretty much, I'm just, I'm just borrowing my own kids from the state. Pretty much. And the reason why is because what they do is they give you 
a small portion of the birth certificate. They make a copy of that. And that's what, you know, we get as parents. Yeah. But the actual birth certificate goes over to the King of England because for every child born in America and even here in Philadelphia, you have to pay a tax to the King of England. Huh. That's why you have to have the social security number as well. When you take out the dashes, that is your account attached to your birth certificate. Yes. Didn't know that, Ty. Didn't know that. That's how you always drop a jewel. They want you to fill that out before you leave the hospital. You are you always going going to the back. You always <laughs> you always dropping jewels, boy. Lucy, let me ask you this question. Now, you know, going back to the past, uh-huh. do you do you think because you know what they talk about a lot of times is the great migration, how people came from the south to the north and all that good stuff. Do you think that the culture shock that we face coming from that area? from the South to the North, do, do you think we had realized what it was or do you think we just, we just wanted a better place and that's just what it was going to be from the South to the North. Yeah. When we did the great migration, do you think, I think you, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. No, I really just think like there was a period where people well at that time, people just, I don't think it was a thought of it being better. It was just a thought of it couldn't be worse than this. Yeah. Like, that's what I think that really came from. I don't think of, they had a clear conscience of where they was going. They just wanted to get out of that captivity of like oppression. And of course they knew they were going to meet their obstacles going north or going anywhere. Yeah. But I feel like they just needed some type of, some type of freedom from what they've been knowing in the South. So I don't think they really even had an idea. And, and I, I feel the same way. I think we were just looking for a different way of life better way of life, quote unquote. And we stumbled upon these these cities in the north thinking that there would be jobs and it would be, you know, uh access to certain aspects from housing to, you know, pretty much food. I mean, just all the things that we thought we were gonna have. And some of the stories told it, you know, you get to you get to these cities and they weren't they, you know, they didn't allow black folks to work. They couldn't work in the in the factories, which mostly Philadelphia is made up of, is made up of factories. It's a very industrial town right next to the right next to the water. So, you know, for a fact, that's that's what it was. It was shipments in and out this city. So I think I think. In the grand scheme of things, we wanted to just find a different way of life, but I don't think we were prepared for what we would face. And, you know, if you look at some of the history of it, you could say like NAACP, not not the SELU, but uh, there's another organization. I think it's like the, the Philadelphia uh, I know it's a color association, but it's it's there are a number of organizations that joined with the NAACP to fight for our civil rights back then in 1917, 1900s, 18-somethings. They, they, these organizations were created, but at the same time, I don't feel that those organizations have really made any leadway in us having better access to employment, having better access to housing, having better access to any of the resources that we need to live. And you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's almost like, you know, we're focusing on the history of the racism in the city on this segment. But I, I think about, if you're thinking about the history of it, Philadelphia itself was built on racism. If you, you know, even with the, even with the the slaves being traded down downtown and city hall, I mean, Philadelphia was built on racism. To be honest with you, we built the city. <laughs> you know, like end of the day, they didn't want us to have the same equality or the same access. And to this day, it's the exact same way. So nothing has changed going back 300 years to say that blacks or people of color in Philadelphia have a chance to, to make a better life. I mean, I can't even tell you, I have complete culture shock coming to Philly. I'm born and raised in DC. And when I came to Philly, I could not believe the amount of oppression that people felt. 
You just you wouldn't even think about it. it. It goes down to your mind state. It goes down to your philosophy. If you always feel like you're locked in and you can't go anywhere, you're not allowed to go anywhere. There's a time we couldn't even come to Upper Derby where I live at right now. So if you if you think about that in that aspect, they they kept you to a certain geographical area. You would feel upset too. I can't I can't see the rest of the city. Wait wait I, I can't. I, you're not gonna allow me in your neighborhood just to walk down the street. I mean these were these were constant things that we dealt with. And Lucy, I wonder I wonder do you think that what we went through in the past plays a major role into how we think today as far as like people in the city, black people in the city, really. I hate to sound like this, but to a certain extent. I feel like history, of course, has is, is the foundation, right? Yeah. But I feel like at the same time, just like I said, I would love to hear your experiences with it because how I view things in Philadelphia is like how racism, and, and if I'm being honest, it never really impacted me in any act aspect of my life like I've never went to Lansdowne Upper Darby and felt weird like I've never have but I feel like history does play that foundation of hey I have this thought of what I think white people or another race would think of me yes you have the thought but I don't think it's the sole reason for me I I, I definitely understand I mean I'm gonna tell you a quick story I'm gonna relate this to the psyche of I guess white people in, in, in the in the region in the geographical area I'm at work and a guy comes in the office and needs my help so I'm helping him doing the transactions. I'm, you know, I'm taking care of him. He was so thankful for what I was doing for him. You know, he wanted to know my name and all that kind of stuff. And I gave him my name. And then he wrote down on his piece of paper. This is what he wrote down. I, I kid you not. He wrote J front desk, black guy. And you say to yourself, well, why do you have to even put that on your piece of paper? And then when they start talking about, you know, we all bleed the same, you already know what type of philosophy this person has. Now, this gentleman was probably about 60 something years old, but I'm telling you, this is exactly how they look at us. It's not even like it's just him. It's talk from generation to generation. Like you said, Lucy, what, what the kids say? Oh, they, they, they're just a bunch of niggas. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like, like when you when you when you think about that, and we live in the city of, of Philadelphia, you would think, okay, it's, I would I would definitely understand that down in down in Atlanta or Georgia or Mississippi or Louisiana. Okay, I, I get it. But you would think that, you know, living in Philly, you wouldn't hear that kind of stuff. This is the only place I've ever had this type of discrimination. Even down in D.C. and D.C. below the Mason-Dixon line. So it was just as racist as anything else. I didn't have that experience. I didn't have I didn't have the type of upbringing where I had to really fight for who I was. You know, I, I shoot, you knew D.C. was Chocolate City. So back then, if, <laughs> if you're from D.C., you already knew. You know what I mean? Like, there's it, it, no, no, no question about it. But coming to Philly, it was the biggest smack in my face. Um, and being I worked at a newspaper, I got to see and talk to the people in the community and I got to have the experiences and see what they were living. And I mean, I say it again, when oppression is not just something you see with your eyes, it's a system that's that's orchestrated for you to operate in. And if you don't find a way to operate in that that type of oppression where it's advantageous for you or it's beneficial for your family, it's going to be an uphill battle. The constant the constant fight I had trying to even find proper employment for the for the experiences I have. It's ridiculous. I even changed my real name on my resume so that they wouldn't they wouldn't look at me in a certain kind of way because my name is African. So you you go, you know, you do things to kind of not assimilate, but really hide your identity. Because if not, they looking at you a certain kind of way regardless. And they feeling like, you know, another black guy, you know? I mean I sit at the front desk. I know all the people in my office probably look at me like you know, he's a good guy. He's a good black guy. You know, one of, one of my boy, one of my, co- one of my colleagues comes in the office every morning. What's up, brother? What's up, bro? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's so, that's so interesting because 
now that you say that makes me think of things like you know how people change the the talk like i always say to i don't care what your nationality is talk to me the same way like don't don't talk to samantha or mary like hey girl and then when you see he's like what's up girlfriend i don't want to hear that they they ready look ready put up the pro-black sound pretty much like brother Brother, we in this together. We in the struggle we together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, we don't um, need to invite you nowhere. That's what it is. Ty, Ty, am I wrong? Yeah. I mean, just you've worked yeah. in those environments. You've worked, yeah, you, you probably been been the best, the best chef there is, and you being a sous chef, and the chef mad at you because you a black guy kicking ass. Oh, excuse my French, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? But that's that. Yeah, I mean, tell me, tell me about that. Ty. What, what experiences have you had in that area? When I worked at QVC, I'm not holding no names either. Ooh. I hold the chef's names. I actually forgot his name, but uh, yeah, but when I was working good. at QVC, yes, uh, they had an outside company come in to like run all the uh, run the kitchen and the catering and everything. And I wasn't running the kitchen; I was just a regular cook. Uh, they came in with the sous chef, the general manager, the chef, the sous chef. He had a stuttering problem, right? White guy named Mike. He had a stuttering yeah. problem. Ty, so, don't start. Um, don't start, Ty. Don't do it, Ty. I'm not, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so, you know, everybody would come to me, you know, when it came to the kitchen. Hey, Ty this. Hey, Ty that. Even the people that came down for lunch, they was always asking me, is this safe to eat? Should I eat this? And I'll yeah. give them, like, the quick head or the something like that, you know? Yeah. But um, the chef, he was a, he was a racist Italian, man. He, he, he showed it. You knew it. That's what he was. And I was okay with that because I saw it and I knew it. So yeah. me and him jumped on those same levels. Like, I know what you are. You know what I am. And we yeah. just going to do it. Yeah. And that's how it was. So one day in the kitchen, he got tired of everybody coming to me and not the sous chef. So he calls everybody and goes, I need everybody to come here for a minute. Come here for a minute. Now, listen, Mike runs the kitchen, all right? Nobody else runs the kitchen. <laughs> so everybody's like, why is he saying this? And I'm looking like, because of me. You know what I mean? That's cool. That's all right. I'm not trying to run the kitchen. Right. I'm just doing my job. Right. So, so after that, you know, he had his say and everything, and everybody walked away. And then, like, a few minutes after that, he said, you can't let the inmates run the prison. See? So he was talking about me, you know what yes. I'm saying? Yes, looking at you as an inmate. Ty, you ever been to jail? You ever been to jail, Ty? No, but Philly is like a jail anyway. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but look, though, so the sous chef, right, after the chef left, the sous chef says, uh, Hey, 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 Ty, don't, don't don't worry about the chef, man. This man, you, we, we got this together, man. We're gonna I knew work you. This out. <laughs> I said, no, man, you need my help, right? All right, it's cool, whatever. Go ahead, you know. Yeah, but I mean, you deal with it. It all depends. Like some people, they don't see color, they don't see nationalities, they see people. Right, right. Some people, that's the case. Some people, yeah, they were just born and raised, and that's all they know. Again, like again, I didn't really have contact with Europeans until outside of school growing up until I was about 21, 22. And I went out to the work industry and started working. Other than that, my neighborhood was all my people. Right. The stores were my people, except for certain stores along the strip. Yeah. So I didn't really get an interaction with them at a younger age to be able to converse and communicate with them on a regular or a comfortable basis. I just was uncomfortable with them. I, I mean, everything, everything you're saying is, is hitting home. You know, particularly, particularly with with the dude being like, "Yo, Ty, you know, we we gonna work this together, right? We gonna yeah. do this together, right?" He knew you were an asset. You know, he knew yeah. that you that you that you would help him continue to make that kitchen what it's supposed to be, even though that's yeah. not your job per se. You know, right. and 
I mean, for for me, the experience is so is so drastic because I grew up in what is quote unquote like you talk about not meeting Europeans until you was like twenty one. I mean, I was introduced to Europeans at ten. So when you when you introduce it that at that age, and then I traveled to Europe shoot almost ten years frequently. So when you when you have those experiences and you you know, I never assimilated to that lifestyle, but I, I was very aware of how they operated, what they thought. And, you know, my school was very much like a utopia in a sense. I mean, you went to school with kids from all over the world, not just even European, but European, Pakistani, Indian, um, uh, Australian, Dutch. I mean, I had kids in my class from all over the world. So I had exposure to so many things that, that I guess the average person doesn't have exposure to. And I had it at a young age. So for me, I was already adapted to the the, the psyche of, of this demographic of people. But when... I came to Philly or even not even just when I came to Philly, when I, when I left school from that utopia and that sheltered environment, boy, you talk about a shell shock. You talk about a smack in the face. Like you just realize that, you know, all the experiences I had before really were null and void because in reality, that's not the way it is. Definitely not in America. Definitely not in, in, in some, in some places in Europe. I mean, the, the racism in itself. And then, and then again, when I came to Philly, it was even worse. I was like, wow. I just couldn't believe I couldn't believe that we as a people had this type of philosophy about ourselves in this city. You know, Philly, Philly is about 58% people of color, 58%. We're we're the majority of people in the city. Whites, uh, you know, Europeans, they're about 43%, but we, we make up so much more of the population, but yet the resources that are out there for us are not for us. You know, it's, it's, it's not what it is. If you look at the cost of living right now in Philly, it's going up. People were moving from New York to move to Philly because the cost of living was cheaper. But then they realized it was the same things going on in Philly that's going on in New York. So you start to think to yourself, okay, is there an end game for this? Is there is there a reason for this? If you think about, I, I can't stand University of Penn. I'm gonna tell y'all right now, I hate University of Penn. I have no respect for that that organization. I have no respect. University for- of Penn has a lot of artifacts of us in their museums. Very much so. And they keep them, you know, very much so. I mean, if you if you ever if you read about the Ivy League, you would start to understand that black people created the Ivy League. We built those places. We helped those donors. We were the ones that that were that were service to the people that were that were, quote unquote, administering the schools from Harvard to Penn to Yale to Princeton. We were the ones that did everything. And, you know, when you think about that and how prestigious Ivy Leagues are. How come we didn't have access to the same type of things? We still have to fight to get into these schools. We still have to have to, we still have to be extraordinary in order to get into these schools. You know, I, again, I say University of Penn, University of Penn is taking over West Philly. Very similar yeah. to how Temple is taking over North Philly. West Philly and North Philly are predominantly black areas. So when you start eliminating certain areas for black people, yeah. you already know that the end result is not going to be good. Yeah. It's not going to be well, uh, it's not going to be good. They do this thing called redlining. It's the map, right? Right. And if you ever look at a map of Philly, and it's pretty much anywhere else, but the map of Philly, when you see like those bold lines sectioning off areas, yeah. like it's a bold line, this is West Philly, this is Southwest, yeah. this is Northeast. They do. That's redlining the city. Yep. And what they do with that is, it's a transparent map. And what they do is they'll take a, the crime map of where all the gunshots and killings have been done, and they place that over top of it. Gotcha. And you can see which parts of the city has the most crime. Gotcha. And based off of that redlining, insurance companies can determine the cost of insurance, healthcare, yep. Yep. 
taxes. Yep. The crime sections off in the city. I mean, there's a commercial right now for um for the elderly social security. It said just just put in your social just put in your zip code and you can get a quote. You talking about Jimmy Walker? I mean, not Jimmy Walker. Yeah, um, yeah, JJ. JJ yeah, from Good Times. You right. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so now all you got to do is put in your, your zip code and they'll send you a quote. Yeah. And they're basing that off a of red line mat. If you put in your zip code for 19143 where I'm at, your quote is going to be kind of high. Yep. And, and, and even if you mention that, I'll tell you a quick story. My insurance while I lived in Southwest right. was much higher than what it is where I live now. See? And yeah. I mean that. I, it, it, I mean, it wasn't just like a kind of old kind of job. I mean, sixty dollars difference per month. You know what I mean? Like, like that's a whole. That is that is a lot to say that if if it's all based on where I live at, and yeah. you know these areas are, are full of crime, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Well, well, damn. What are we gonna do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's already stacked against us. You know what I'm saying? They like, also, it's, yeah, they also call them residential security maps, and this is what the FHA. And uh, HOLC, the Homeowners Loan Corporation. Yeah, these are the maps that they use to determine who, what, and where gets what type of property and the value of it. Yeah, that's so crazy. They use bro. these maps. You no, know, it's, it's just another form of racism, but we don't see it as racism. Nah, but that, we, that's what it is. You know, we, we just see it as well. We just live in these areas, so that's why they they charge this much. I mean, yeah. I mean, Ty, listen, we go on, on. We can talk about this all, all day. Uh, period. Like, talk about it, go in depth, all that good stuff. But listen, we're going to take a quick break. When we come right back, we're going to discuss the future, how we see the future of race relations in Philly going, you know. So, listen, family, we're going to take a quick break. Remember, you can call us with your comments, questions at 844-844-1244. Again, it's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. You'll listen to the Jimmy Bonds Podcast on Philadelphia Radio, the Andy Station for the Andy Nation. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Michael from Upper Darby. Listen to the Jimmy Bonds Podcast on Philadelphia Radio. Is it okay? I said it's the Michael. It is okay, all right, yeah. This is Reverend CC Chicken Wing. And I love listening to the Jimmy Bonds Podcast. Insightful, thoughtful words that uplift the people and bring up knowledge to the people. That's the brother Jimmy Bonds right there. You can reach out to the brother too at the Jimmy Bonds podcast at gmail.com. This is Reverend CC Chicken Wing. Uh, yeah, uh, is the mic still on? This is on. Okay, I'm sure. And welcome back to Jimmy Boss Podcast and Philadelphia Radio. Remember, family, you can call us with your comments and questions at 844-844-1244. Again, it's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybosspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybosspodcast at gmail.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. And again, family, we're discussing the topic of racism in Philadelphia. We're really going in depth. Brother Ty's dropping some jewels. Sister Lucy dropping some jewels. You know, we just, we just getting at it right now. We just getting at it. And, you know, during the break, Lucy was talking about um, how she could see what Ty was, was talking about as far as the redlining and as far as just, you know, how they set it up. You know, Lucy, go. Can you can you talk about that again? What you what you were saying during the break? No, I was just saying it was interesting, like just learning a lot from you, Ty, like how like the connecting the, the red dots. And it makes sense because honestly, 
why would I want to, why would I not raise taxes on a high crime area? So it just makes it seem like, dang, this is what they're really doing to us. But I feel like for our people, we're not looking at it as like, man, this is an issue. We're like, yo, we have to survive. Like, I don't have time to figure out what we could do. I got to work three jobs or I got to do what I have to do to make sure my family's good. So it's a problem here. We all know, but it's like, what solutions are we going to do? So I'm so interested in what y'all think about the, when we talk about the future, because I'm really literally thinking about my day to day. I'm never thinking about what's going on. Cause you're just getting so distracted with so many other things. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think you said it best, the distraction of it. And, you know, on this segment, we would definitely talk about the future and what the future holds and how the future, <laughs> how it's, it's, it's kind of grim. It, it ain't a pretty, it ain't a pretty picture family. It's, it's really kind of like, yo, uh, we, we going into some dark times and it's disheartening. You know, but I feel like I feel like if you don't continue to talk about it to bring awareness to it, you have to you have to shake the people out of the distractions. You always gonna have to go to job. The bills ain't going nowhere. They're not going nowhere. They're not. So if, if the bills, I mean, you got to pay your light bill every month. You got to pay your rent every month. You got to pay your car. note, You got to pay insurance. You got to pay all, everything. You got to pay it every month. The water bill, all of your cell phone. So the bills ain't going nowhere. And we are definitely trying to survive from day to day. But there's a point within that day to day time that you might feel like enough is enough. You might do what you do for a whole year and then realize that, not that I wasted a year doing something, but there's no end for me on this here. You know what I mean? People get, you think about people getting their tax returns, they go out and spend all the money they can. I'm, I'm buying everything. I'm buying <laughs> everything, especially this year. I'm buying everything. Whatever I can buy, I'm buying. I'm buying a car. If I can, if I can put some money down on the trip, I'm doing that. Like, you know, we don't, we don't have ideas to figure out how to reinvest the money that we get and where to put it and how to how to reinvest it Ty, i think we had this conversation before i said the future is grim because to be honest with you we're racist against each other we are you know we're racist against we're racist against one another based on skin color based on economic status based on education based on you know family family history family ties we're, we're racist towards each other and if that doesn't stop I don't know. I don't know how we're gonna move. I don't know how we're gonna move forward. Well, again, moving forward, that's that's an issue because we we've gotten like that because of the environment, right? But we don't we don't even structure and set up our own environment as far as a community. Like outsiders are setting up our communities for us to live in, yeah. And it's that environment, like Lucy said, has you like just trying to get through the day, yeah. Where you can't even plan six months down the road because you're just trying to get through the day and through the week. Yeah. That's the distractions that we're talking about. And that's designed. That's a system of racism that's designed to keep you constantly chasing, constantly running. And it's hard to prepare for the future or even set yourself up for the future. If you're constantly running and chasing the now. Yeah. It's like, what are you going to say, Lucy? Go ahead. No, I was just add on to what Todd said. Like, that's true because they give you enough just to survive, just to crack that whip again. Yeah. Just so you got to keep working for it again. Yeah. Like, that's so true. Yeah. I mean, we're it's constantly it, running. It, we're constantly <laughs> running. Constantly. Constantly trying to survive. I mean, survival is definitely important as far as how you take care of your family and that kind of thing. That's definitely, it's key. It's important. But the amount of surviving that we have to do is completely different than what any other kind of nationality would have to survive. In. We don't. We we practically live in war zones. I mean, let's not get it twisted. All right, we practically live in war zones. We're all traumatized. We're all we're, we're all very much 
We're so numb to the murders. We're so numb to the police brutality. We're so numb to us killing each other. And again, I I, I tell people all the time, y'all protest all day about George Floyd, but y'all y'all won't get out there and protest the amount of gun violence that's in this city. Y'all be like, well, you know, little Ray Ray just passed away, so you know, you know how that is. It's like, yo, like we are we are numb to the realities that we face. It has nothing to really. You can't blame that on white people. You can't. No, don't even try. Don't even try to come to me with you know. Well, that's the way the system is set up. Like, no, the system is not set up for you to shoot your brothers. Period. Period. But you don't think like when you know when they say the system is so broken that you can't kind of fault me for reacting to it. Like you know how I see it in every aspect of when people be like, I'm doing this because you're so frustrated to the point where you just you going outside, you killing your fellow brother instead of doing it, doing something that's going to benefit you. Like, you don't think people get into, like, or our people that we're speaking of, they don't get into these knucklehead activity because this is, they feel like the system is so broken that they have nothing else to lose. You want to know something? This is what I feel. Mm-hmm. Why are we operating in their system? That's mm-hmm. first. That's primary. Why are we operating in their system? We don't have to live in their system. Asians don't live in their system. Hispanics don't even live in their system. We live in their system. It was designed for us to fail, not anybody else. I mean, yeah, people of color, but primarily black folks. Ty, I don't know. I said black, so I know, you know, how we identify my fault. <laughs> but I mean, pri- primarily it's us who, you know, I, I'm 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 of the belief that there are no excuses. That's my belief. Now that might be very militant, it might be very superficial or far-fetched, but I feel like there's no reason to kill each other the way we're doing it. I tell the story all the time. I had a young man pass away right in my arms. He wasn't shot by the police. He was shot by, he was shot by somebody in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Passed away right in my arms. Brother, brothers watched him pass away. Family called me. Saw, I mean, family saw me holding him while he passed away. Police came in. They didn't even send an ambulance for this young man. Mm-hmm. They just put, we had to put him in the, in the back of a police SUV to get him down to the hospital. He died on the way down there. So when I tell you we live in war zones and we're traumatized, we are. But that doesn't mean you have to repeat the cycle. That they want you to repeat. The more, the more we killing each other, the better for them to be like, yeah, hey, they, they niggas go killing, killing each other again. They don't care about no life. They don't care about how they feel. I mean, and most of most of the reasons why we're doing it aren't justified reasons. They're not. Oh well, you know, you you did something to my child, so that's it. No, it's it's it's, you know, you you smashing my girl, or you making more money than me, or you know, you got it, you got it better than me. I like the way you said something to me. It's very very trivial immature reasons as to why these things go down. And but we, we make validation for it. We're like, yeah, he, he was supposed to go. You can't do that in the black community. Like, no. Stop that. We, you can't do that in any community. Like, you can't be disrespectful to each other and expect, expect us to move forward if we just still kill each other all the time. It, it's always going to be like that. I'm not, even, I'm not blaming the music on it. I'm not blaming the way that people grow up. But in the environments that we live in, there are other other things we can do. Now, I might be, you know, some people might be like, well, Jim, you so far-fetched. You don't know what it's like in the hood, blah, blah, blah. You know, I live in the hood. I'm from the hood. All right, I grew up in the crack era of D.C. And that was, that was when super murders were happening. Everybody was getting murdered. It was, it was just, just everyday occurrences. So I'm saying all that to say, like, I'm not trying to be so, you know, pro-brother and all that kind of stuff. I'm just trying to make a reality that there are no excuses. We always have to be better than they are. We always have to show that we're better than they are. We always have to show really three, four times that we're better than them. And we continuously fall short of that. We fall short of showing that we are, we are better than how they portray us. And they highlight the negative aspects of us. 
And we don't we don't come in and be like, no, stop talking about this. Stop, stop. No, you can't record here in this neighborhood. Get the get the hell out of here. You know, no, take your camera down the street. No, that's not what we do. We let them sit on the corner and we watch them make these reports to the masses and say XYZ. But most of the time, some of the time anyway, the stories they tell are not true. So I mean, I'm I'm going on, and I know I'm going off emotion, I'm going on a little tangent. I'm sorry. I just I just had to for me, I like like Lucy says, I play devil's advocate because there are other reasons, there are other things we can do to improve our situation. I'm not trying to be Farrakhan. You know, I'm not trying to be Malcolm X or Dr. King or, you know, we shall overcome or nothing like that. I'm just being honest and realist about it where it's just ridiculous. So racism in Philly exists because these are the parameters they put around us, but we feed right into all of it. We feed it. We feed it. Todd, what you you always say? You never hear them talking about an Asian man killing another Asian man on the news. You don't don't hear it. Asian drive-bys, no. No, you don't hear it. You know, if it, and you rarely even hear Latinos on the news, no. right? No, no. Even Indians. Even I mean, <laughs> I can keep going now. I can I can definitely keep going. You rarely you oh, rarely yeah. hear about this, but they really they put a star next to what's going on with us, and it's it's almost like you know, an agreement that you know these niggas crazy, <laughs> pretty much. You know what I mean? That we're, yeah. we're just co-signing it. We're just co-signing to say that's what it is. This system was set up by psychopaths, and they got a lot of our people under a psycho apartheid. You know, yes. when you talk to young kids, I'm like, yo, why you got to carry a gun? Man, it's crazy out here. I got to protect myself. You don't know what's going to go down. Yep. Like, that's their environment. Yep. It was. So, yeah. You got 14 to 15 year olds that are, how they get the guns? I can't really tell you, but they have access to guns. Uh. You know, and to me, Again, that's another form of racism because you really don't need the cops shooting us. We do a better job of it than they do. Yeah, we, we do sure do. Oh, we we sure we, we are. What what we say, Todd? What we say? We we are the best at that. We are we are we are fantastic at killing each other. Yeah, we got like, some we do basketball it for shooters and some gun shooters. Yeah. You either a basketball shooter or a gun shooter. One of the two. You know, one of the two. It's that's the guy. Put the clan shooting. out there in the street no more. The clan doesn't even have to have rallies no more because we're just knocking each other off. Period. They we're doing a job for them. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. We're doing it for them. That's what I'm saying. They said, well, instead of us getting ourselves involved in it, let's create that environment where they'll do it on them to themselves. Yeah. Put the bait out there and let them get it. (laughs) Yeah, put the bait out there. Exactly. Exactly. They they bait us into it. They bait us into it. I mean, again, I I don't I don't want to sound old fashioned or too militant, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying, bro. Like, you don't have to kill your brothers. You don't have to kill your sisters. You don't have to. You don't have to do it. But, but they don't I, have another alternative. They wasn't taught another alternative. No. They're not teaching. Well, we're not teaching our kids how to talk things out. Because I always say, whose responsibility is it to teach? You know, our children. That's it's our ours. responsibility. Yeah, you know? it is. And we're we're not teaching them how to talk things out, and that's a challenge too because they don't want to hear it. No, they know it. I got to protect myself. And, I and it's, 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 the, it's the same old you don't know what it's like out here you don't know what it's yeah. like out here right well take your ass inside how about that how about you take your ass in the house and figure out what else you can do 15 16 year olds out right now i'm gonna tell you it's some it's some brilliant 15 16 year olds on this software making millions of dollars that people don't even know about yeah now they always talking about you know if we have access to technology and access to education i'm like it's possible yeah. it's possible for these kids to do something else Granted, you have to you have to show them and give them the opportunity. Yes, for sure. But are the opportunities there? No. You know, are they are they for us? No. So it's I mean, for me, 
again, I don't want to sound old fashioned or too pro militant. I'm just saying like there are other things we can do besides kill each other. And it looks like the future holds us more, you know, doing more murders, killing each other off more. Um, I still trying to survive every day, you know, us. I mean, I, I just, I'm sorry. I, I, it's very disheartening. I want to be positive about it. I want to be, I want to be ultra positive. Like, yeah, we can get better. I know it's going to get better, but for me, I just don't feel like that's realistic. You know, it's not, it's not a realistic thing. I don't know what it's going to take to get better. Lucy, what do you think? What's it going to take to get better? To be honest, it's nothing that is going to be that this needs to happen for it to get better. If if we're really being honest with ourselves, we're in a system that is always going to be a revolving door. It's never going to necessarily say this is going to be the key thing. Look how what Dr. King, if we go back into our activists who were really who literally died for the the freedom for our people or fighting for the rights of our people. And then you see it today, like it looks completely backwards. It looks like we're in that time now. I can only, I would love to be in a thought of what Dr. King would think today. And I'm not even trying to say like, he's like the the the, the end all be off of what it means to be, you know, black, but it's like, I died for you guys to have freedom or I died for speaking up for you guys. And this is what you guys are doing. I would love to just have a conversation to see what his thoughts on what it is looks like today because I honestly I don't see it in my time that's maybe my great 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 carrying children but not in my time hey this is Michael from Upper Darby this is Jimmy Bob podcast on every WFL radio in this day and time I feel it's my job to introduce to the younger people who are coming up because back then those people crawled so that I could walk. Mm. And I'm walking so that today you guys can run. And yes. you'll run so that yes. the generation behind you can fly. Yes. Oh. Okay. Yes. So that's that's what that is. So I want I'm I'm introducing uh people from back in the day. I, I need to give them their respect mm-hmm. for paving the way for so many of the young people who are coming up today who I am just absolutely thrilled to be able to watch what they do. When they told me about you, Jimmy, I was like, okay. I mean the whole spirit behind this show is so positive that it was like a it's like a privilege wow. for me to come here. You know, wow. it really is. You guys are oh. on a mission. Welcome back to the Jimmy Boss Podcast on Philadelphia Radio. We thank you for listening. Remember, family, you can call us at 844-844-1244. Again, it's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. That's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. Uh, that's, you said it profoundly. That's that's dope. That's, that's Yes, you, you great, great points. I mean... You're right. What would Dr. King probably turn over his grave right now? You know, yeah. every day, seeing what he's seeing. You know, and <laughs> it, it's a it's a sad, sad state of affairs, but there there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean, Ty? There is light at the end of the yeah. tunnel. Um, mm-hmm. There there are possibilities for it to get better. Um, I mean, when it's going to happen and where it's going to happen, Lucy, I probably agree with you. We're talking about five generations down the road, um, but there it, it, there it's a glimmer of hope, family. It's a glimmer of hope. Ty, what do you Lucy think? Said a key, yeah, Lucy said a key word there, though, man. She said freedom. You know what I mean? 
And with freedom equals chaos. If you have freedom, that means you have chaos. So they don't want you to have freedom because freedom equals chaos. That's why they put laws, rules, you know, sanctions, restrictions, and so on and so forth. Because once you have freedom, then you're going to have chaos. Yeah. And Dr. King would probably say, give me a strap too, because when I go to this next meeting, Mm. I'm about to make sure. That nonviolence going out the window. It's all out the window. They're not listening to me no more. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what was it? Uh, Malcolm X by any means? By any means necessary. Exactly. Exactly. He's like, I'm about to be Malcolm from now on. Let me go get my strength. Hold on, (laughs) black folks. These Negroes acting crazy. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Moving forward. Yeah, moving forward. Again, just like you know what Lucy said, it's it's not a good picture, it's not a good outlook because again, we are stuck in this environment that was created for us, and we're not trying to we need to destroy the environment and recreate one that's suitable for us. Yeah, for sure. Which is easy to say, but it's you know, it's a it's a daunting task to do. It is. But the environment is what's causing a lot of our problems. I mean, we're we're up against uh oh my bad, go ahead, Ty. No, no, I mean against the environment and no, even we talked about before with like supporting black businesses. Yeah. You know, even with that, the challenge with that is we're trying to open up businesses in our own communities. Yeah. But you have to go back to that map I was talking about, the transparent map, when they lay the the red lining map, then they put that crime rate map on top of there. You also put a business map on top of there as well. You're not gonna you're not gonna invest money into these high crime areas. Right. So no, you're not. banks and institutions are not going to invest in high crime areas. And we're trying to get loans from these mm. banks to open up a business in a high crime area. Yep. You know, so yep. it's all working against us. And again, <sighs> I, I would say we we'll probably have to start with the education system. Right. Myself. I mean, you figure those that are 18 and over right now, we have to figure out a plan for them. But those that are younger, if we can get to them while they're young and within the next 20 years, we can see a change. I would say, yes, let's work with the education system yeah. because the educational system is not designed and built for us to succeed. No. It's built for some to make it in the corporate industry and corporate world, but on a, for the total, the total community, it's not built that way for us to succeed. You know, And I think moving forward, we have to, uh, we have to attack the education system and change our philosophies and formats in educating our children. Because you figure by the year 2030, you know, our population is going to be down some because we're just killing each other right now. Yeah, we are. You know, so in 20 years, we're not going to have those CEOs. They're yeah. killing each other right now. Yep. You know, we're not going to have those business owners because they're knocking off each other. Yeah. And again, with this recreational weed, I don't mind the medicinal. The medicinal is fine because yeah. you have aches and pains and whatever the case may be. You can't take strong prescription medication. The medicinal is okay. It's the recreational that I'm having a problem with because that's the one that's, that's the designer weed. They're designing that to mess with the reproductive system. So 15, 20 years from now, the reproductive systems are going to have problems. We'll see it when people have to start going to the hospital or the doctors for certain reproductive ailments and conditions. It'll start to come about. That's why it's so, it's so abundantly available in the cities right now with these dispensaries. Yeah, that's you it. Know? It's definitely there, man. It's definitely like I said, there. the medicinal is okay, but it's the recreational one that's that's going to cause the problems. <sighs> when yeah. you give lazy people the opportunity to smoke all day, they're going to smoke all day. <laughs> that's, 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 that's what you say? We lazy? Is that what you're saying, Ty? You saying we, we lazy, lazy people? 
That is the label on our people, yes, that we are lazy. That's the label. Yeah, that, that is what they say about us. That, that's definitely what they say about us. I mean, um, you know, I, I could I could talk about this subject all day long. Lucy know that. Ty, you know that. And, you know, you can go into so many different lanes, so many different areas, you know, but I, I wanted to make sure we had this conversation because if it's going on in Philly, it's going on in Detroit. If it's going yeah. on in Detroit, it's going on in Baltimore. If it's going on in Baltimore, it's going on in L.A., Atlanta, New Orleans, New York, Connecticut. Wherever we exist, that's where it's going on. Because, I mean, we might we might want to act like that it's not, but you know, racism in Philly is very similar to racism anywhere else. And true. on a broader scale, this affects everybody all over this country, not just in Philly, but around the United States. And you know, we're talking about racism in Philly, but like I said, it's very relatable to every other city that I know that's populated by predominantly black people, predominantly people of color. Um, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a conundrum that we're in. You know, I guess it's one of those things where we're we are very, you know, catch me too. Damn if you do, damn if you don't. And I feel like, like I said, I, there is a glimmer of hope. I'm never going to tell you that there is no hope. Ty always says, if, with no hope, people are very dangerous. And I feel like there is a glimmer of hope. There is a glimmer. I can see, I can see the light, but it's going to take a lot for us to really make these changes within our community. Um, like, like Lucy said, if we're trying to survive, we're trying to work, we're trying to take care of our family. It's going to take a lot. But I, I, you have to put it on people's radar. They don't start talking about it or recognizing it until you bring it up. You know, it's their everyday life. It's what they face every day. But they're not going to talk about it. They're just going to be like, yeah, it's just the way it is. You know, he such and such is racist and they racist and this company is racist. I mean, that's that's what they face. So just just an example, the in my office that I work, the majority of people that clean the building, they're not white. They got to be at there at 6 o'clock in the morning. They're not white. They look like us. I see them. Well, Hispanics, exactly. So what does that say? What does that say about and I take the I take the, the, the shuttle from my office to the train. It's about a mile from there. And it's only black people on the shuttle. What does that say? That, that was the same shuttle from sixteen fifty five and seventeen twenty five. That same shuttle. You know what I mean? Talk sure about it. It sure was. Same shuttle. I mean things don't change, but they more stay the same. And you know, I Again, I don't want to be the one that's going to be like, no, nah, this, you know, this is, we're in doom and gloom. But I'm just saying more than anything else. Like, we have to have a positive attitude about it. Otherwise, we'll, we'll, <laughs> you know, that's why the suicide rate is up so high in the black community. All right, you know, I'm not trying to tell you nothing, you know. And I believe that you know people that need help with with that need they need help. I need everyone to make sure if your family member is going through a mental health crisis, you know, sometimes it's just based on the environment that they're in. Yes. Um, the trauma that they had, the experiences that they had, you know, I need you to reach out to them and tell them you love them and keep this, keep pushing because, you know, <laughs> besides us knocking off each other, we're killing ourselves, literally, literally. So, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, that's why I say it's a glimmer of hope because it has to be a way for us to, to save the ones that, that need the help. You know, save the ones that need to move forward and, and have a positive outlook. I know it's I know it's far fetched. I understand that it's far fetched and people are not gonna be like, yo, Jimmy, you know, it, it's you know what you're saying is is not reality. I understand that. But what I'm saying more than anything else is that it can be. It can be in reality. And that's my glimmer of hope. That's the little light that I see in the end of the tunnel that it's possible it's possible that this can change. 
You know what I'm saying? I'm going to wrap it up right there. Lucy, what you got to say before we go, sis? I mean, I'm agree with you on the hope because hope is the only thing we have to stand on to keep going. Because um, if I don't have that, I don't know how I'm gonna wake up the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's gonna get better. <laughs> I hope it's gonna I, get I better. Need, I need something, but before I do, but I do have to say this, Ty. You did say something that I definitely wanted to say. Um, when you said about our own supporting our own communities and things like that, and I know with you, um. Jay, we talked about like supporting black communities and all that. I feel like if I have to say anything that if it's any hope is forget them accepting us. I feel like once we start accepting our people, our businesses, creating our own lanes, we don't need them. Like we build America. We don't we don't need them to give us a blueprint that we secured already. We don't need them. They're just mimicking our blueprint. So I feel like with Nipsey Hustle, like when you you mentioned about banks don't want to give the hood like business loans. Nipsey Hustle did it, and guess who killed him? A black man at his own store. Yep. We can't be doing stuff like that. Yep. We gotta make our own lane, support our own people, have our own bodegas or poppy stores, yep. have our own lanes that we can go to. But we're not we're not we're not trying to do that because if we do that. We can advance so far that we don't even need to think about what white people or the quote unquote minority, I mean, excuse me, majorities think of us. That's where I want to be at. I want to see, like Issa Rae said, I want to see all black people win. Well put, Lucy. Well put, killing it, killing it. No, that's dope. That's exactly what it's supposed to be. Um, Yeah, if we don't start supporting each other, we ain't we ain't getting no raise. You're right. You're certainly right. Like. No, we don't need them. We don't need to operate in, in their society. We need to operate in our own, in our own communities, build our own communities up, support black business. So I would tell you that, I mean, that's a very big thing for us, but it's very rare that we do that, you know? Because who got, who, who got the most influence? Everything, black fishing, all that is all based on our people. It is. Like we nobody do it better than black people. I'm sorry. Yeah, nobody it's does. my personal opinion, but we are the blueprint. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, it's, it's, that's the truth and, and, and look we are the blueprint and we created the blueprint you know what mm-hmm. i mean so uh, let's yeah that's that's dope ty how you feel brother I, you know what, what do you feel about you know closing out what what what, are, what is your synopsis or your, your view for the future of what we have to do you know what y'all just said about that blueprint because in saying that i notice how all the ethnic groups come over here and follow that blueprint and make money off of us you know, they follow our blueprint and use it to succeed. But again, moving forward, we just have to we have to make some mental changes first before we can do the actual mm-hmm. change. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to have mm-hmm. to start mentally between the airs, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and until that takes place, we're going to always be in this constant fight and struggle with trying to get, as we say, freedom, uh, fighting for rights. When we already have natural rights, they got us fighting for rights. You know, we shouldn't have yeah. to fight for rights. Yeah. You, know, you have natural rights as a person, as yeah. a human. Yeah. You know, but they created rights for us to fight for, and we're still fighting for them for some reason. You know, yeah. we're fighting for things that we already have. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of times people fight for an equal playing field. And yeah. I, I we, think we already have a playing field. We just yeah. have to, you know, cut our own grass. Yep. Put our own markers on our own playing field and we can yep. play our own game. Yep. And that's we don't the, have to play on their field. Yep. And I mean, end of the day, that's what it is. You don't have to play on their field. We yeah. want to because we think that's success. We think what they do is successful. You know, because I guess I guess in America everything is chopped up to money. But if 
if we create, like you said, Todd, we create our own playing field. You know, sky's the limit. Boy, we yeah. we are inventive. We are we persevere. You think about you know, we actually have a lot of people in in different industries of engineering, but we don't really hear or see about them because nah. they're working for corporations and companies. Yes, these are the people that can come in and help us redesign and reprogram and move forward. And and you're, yeah. you're talking about engineering, so it's not yeah, just engineering. it's not just you know engineer. I guess of, of you know infrastructure. It's also engineering in, dig, in digital aspects. Because I see all of that. Yes, that's 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 super prominent right now. You know, engineering yeah. is is a is a very broad thing to look at. So it's different that's areas true. of it, and I think I think you're right. I think if we're able to get some of our engineers within our communities that can orchestrate this stuff, you never know what we can do. You got to yeah. give you got to you just got to give you got to give credit where credit is due. You know, we've had a lot of people within our history that have done some phenomenal things. Um, I mean, every time you pull up to a stoplight, that's that's a black person right there, and mm-hmm. you know. When you think about you think about what we face on a daily basis, we got to be some of the strongest people in the world. Period. And if we if we just like Lucy said, if we decide to stop trying to fight to be like them mm-hmm. and start creating our own and be like ourselves, oh man, this would be a better, a much better environment for us to grow up in. Your kids will be better, your family will be better, your positions will be better, your income will be better. And you know, I think moving along. You know, I, I I thank both of y'all tonight for coming on and sharing your thoughts on this issue of racism in Philly. And as I said before, if it's, if it's happening here, it's happening everywhere. And the more we, we start talking about these issues, the more we, we challenge the social norms, the more we do that, the more we start putting on people's radar that these things are going on. Maybe they can think about something else, think about it doing it a different way. Um, I think giving people alternatives is, is the most important. And I feel like people within our city don't feel like they have alternatives. So um, you know, fam, I'm gonna wrap the show. Um, <laughs> this has been a phenomenal conversation. This has been an awesome conversation. I'm really thankful for Lucy, thankful for Ty, thankful for Sister T, thankful for all of our listeners out there on a continuous basis who tune in weekly and listen to the Jimmy Bonds podcast, Philadelphia Radio, the Indie Nation for the Indie Station, rather the Indie Station for the Indie Nation. My apologies. Um, it, it's a very important thing that you guys continue to push us along, continue to push us to, to new heights and new realms, and we're thankful for you. Uh, we're thankful for just how you support us and how you keep us going. And we just going to keep moving along, family. So remember, you can call us with your comments or questions at 844-844-1244. Again, that's 844-844-1244. You can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com. Now, before we go, Sister Lucy, this is your first show. We thank you for coming on. You did oh, she did a phenomenal job, Ty. Just yeah. absolutely yeah. fantastic, bro. Is there anything you want to say to the people, Lucy? I mean, thank you guys for having me. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little nervous, but you guys made me feel comfortable. So I, I just am looking forward to coming back as long as you guys would have me. Oh, we're gonna have you, Lucy. Don't you worry about that. Definitely, definitely, definitely that. Ty, is there anything you want to say to the people before we go, bro? Keep hope alive, like Jesse Jackson said. <laughs> Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. <laughs> That's real. That's real. But fairly, remember, we're still in a COVID-19 pandemic as much as they want to tell you we're not. So just take take heed, take caution. You know, wear your mask, wash your hands, practice social distancing, all that good stuff. You know, if you're not vaccinated or you are vaccinated, it does not matter. Just make sure you care about the people that are around you, the people that you love. Um, because we are in a very interesting time. And the people falling off this earth left and right. Um, a friend of mine passed away last week. 
I just, I just want to dedicate this podcast to her. Her name is Nicole Fitz. Uh, she was very close to me. And I, very, I very much appreciate all the insight that she's given me and the pushes she's given me back in the day. So we want to say rest in peace, Nicole, to you and your family. We're definitely praying for you. And like I always say, family, please, please, please remember to tell, you, tell your friends and your family that you love them because you never know when you get another chance. Family, this is a very important time for us. We're, we're in a transition particularly with abortion on, 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 on the plate. We're in a transition family. So I mean, everybody just, it ain't about being woke. It's about being attentive and, and, and being open to, to what's going on. So, you know, that's all I'm going to say on this episode, family. I thank y'all for listening. I'm Jimmy Bonds, Sister Lucy, Sister Ty, and we out. Peace. Sister Ty. Oh, br- Brother Ty. Brother Ty. You know how it is. Sister T. Sister T ain't here, but sister, Brother Ty. Brother Ty. Brother Ty. My bad. I understand, brother. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> we out family much love to you alright peace fam that's gonna wrap the show we wanna thank you for listening to Jimmy Bond's podcast on Philadelphia Radio we ask you to leave your comments and questions at 844-844-1244 again that's 844-844-1244 you can also email us at jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com again that's jimmybondspodcast at gmail.com that's J-I-M-M-Y B-O-N-D-S podcast at gmail.com now, remember, family, we are still in the COVID-19 pandemic, so please, please, please remember to wash your hands, wear a mask, and practice social distancing. Also, remember to take nothing for granted and value every opportunity you have with your friends, your family, and your loved ones. For in these times, every moment is sacred. So until the next episode, you can find me on Good Hope Road, screaming, stay up, don't sleep in your dreams. I'm Jimmy Bonds, and I'm out. Fight on. Come on. Fight on.